Coming up on the first episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics, Penn State women's soccer head coach Erica Dombach as her sports popularity is at an all-time high after back-to-back gold medals in World Cups for the U.S. women's national team. I think that people want to support women's soccer right now. I think the Penn State community, I can't tell you, you know, you can be at just the local grocery stores and people want to talk about the World Cup with me. They'll run and bump into me and see my T-shirt or know, you know, see my face and they want to talk about that World Cup, Coach. Let's go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Fans, welcome to Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. This is our first ever episode, and we're pleased to be joined by national championship winning head coach Erica Dombach. You may know her as Erica Walsh as well from back in the day. Coach, welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. It's an honor and excited about the new podcast and excited about the content and so much to talk about with Penn State Athletics. Erica, we'll get to all the accomplishments and the great program you've built here at Penn State, but right now women's soccer are never more popular in the United States. As a U.S. citizen, former national team assistant coach, and to have former Penn Staters playing a significant role in this year's World Cup, what's it been like to watch and be a fan of the U.S. women's national team? Well, the, the, obviously the environment this summer was electric, and, mm-hmm. and we were so, all so energized as a nation, and, and so now the challenge is how do you continue? How do you keep going? Our NWSL is kind of continuing to to move along but not at the rate that we needed to in mm-hmm. order to to sustain it for years to come and that's the big question now is um you know i think as as the megan rapinos the ali kriegers the listeners come into the forefront and they become household names because right now if you talk to somebody that doesn't know women's soccer they still say the name mia ham mm-hmm. you know and that it, it's probably time to start talking about alex morgan <laughs> and you know and 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 i think you're starting to feel that around the water cooler a little bit more and um you know thanks to media and good morning america and all these different shows that these players have now um spent time on and and they're using their platform and i think they've it's been met with a little bit of criticism here and there of should they be talking about this and this and this the reality is they're gonna have a platform for a really short period of time and they know that they can affect change and and good for them for trying to figure out a way is it perfect no um, but I have to say, they, they probably don't have the same mentorship and, and uh, training that the professional athletes have on the men's side. They haven't been doing this for years and mm-hmm. years and, and receiving that training. So they're trying to figure it out and how to use their platform. And they obviously know what their initiative is and what they're, what they're trying to push. And now they're just trying to figure out the best way to do it. You were an assistant for the team that won the gold medal at the Beijing Olympics. You were as a, an assistant coach for the 2011 World Cup in Germany. So now... U.S. women's soccer has more than the Brandy Chastain moment. So what's changed since that point and through your international experience to see where they've gotten to now? There is a uh, a bit of world dominance in, in U.S. women's soccer mm-hmm. right now. The job that Jill Ellis has done cannot be understated in terms of um, the, the level of confidence that this group exudes. Uh, is is so overwhelming in, in so many positive ways. I think, again, as as females, uh, so often we kind of have the legs, our legs cut out underneath us when you're trying to pl- put people up on a pedestal. It's what's wrong with them. But, you know, right now you've got a group that's confident, and there was a lot of talk after the Thailand game, are they overconfident, or this or they that? Well, it, it's been a long time since we've seen a really, a really confident group of, of women. And, um, and and we have one right now, and so help them raise raise them up, and help them help them use this platform if they can fight for equal pay or you know all the different initiatives that they're fighting for right now. 
it it benefits everybody in the long run and and uh and and it benefits all of our young young girls in our country yeah and young girls are going to see this and more and more maybe more likely to play soccer so what's the state of soccer as a head coach at the college level which is churning out u.s women's national team products which is churning out professional players across the globe rocky rodriguez playing for costa rica what is the state of soccer right now in the united states there's a there's a buzz. There's an excitement. We are putting seventeen thousand people in stadiums mm-hmm. in Portland and in Utah, and and that's different. That's different than it was even after youth uh, after the 2015 World Cup. And mm-hmm. so, with each passing year of success, you are seeing more and more fans beyond just the little girls. You're seeing dads wear an Alex Morgan jersey. You're seeing little boys wear a Carly Lloyd jersey. Mm -hmm. That's when you start to think that, okay, we're starting to make some inroads here, that it's not just about those that are solely interested in women's soccer because they have somebody in their life, but that they're fans. They're fans of the sport. They're fans of this team that is dominating men, women, or otherwise. It is our national team that is dominant on a world stage, and I want to be a fan. I want to support a winning team, and I think that feeds into the American culture and the American sports culture of whether it's the bandwagon or you, you, you want to be part of a winning culture and, mm-hmm. and, a, and a winning team. And it can serve as a driver for women's soccer across the globe because right now women's soccer in the next World Cup, they're going to expand the field. So the United States as a power and as a country that has a lot of influence internationally, they now having that success, you're hoping that that can help generate some more participation across the globe as well. Yeah, and, and that goes back to utilizing their platform right now. You know, mm-hmm. they have a – once sports begin this fall, you won't hear as much about – but that's the beauty of the World Cup and the timing of the World Cup, and it's there's very little going on in the sports world around that time. And so they've got – they had a couple weeks here where they're going to show up on every new show, and they're going to use this platform. And, and to your point, around the world, you see people on social media tweeting about them and, and you know, and, and encouraging them, keep mm-hmm. going, because a little bit here in our country and maybe Sweden paying attention and maybe there's a little bit more invested in Costa Rica where Rocky's trying to do some work. And, again, that benefits benefits everyone. From your experiences with the international game, what did you take out of it? What was it like to represent your country as a coach? What was it like to represent my country as a coach? Um, you know, you stand on that field, you have the crest on your chest and the pride that you exude. It's again, it's surreal. You, you kind of mm-hmm. look around the stadium and you wonder if this is actually your life and how did how how am I so fortunate to be a part of it? But probably the coolest thing is when you're working with the likes of Abby Wambach and you're working with Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan is these players are so hungry to learn and get better and it's very humbling from that standpoint because you go into that environment you're a little bit intimidated you're a little bit wondering how how am i going to help these players get better and then they're looking you in the eyes and go can you get me more video can you go out in the field and work with me they are champions for a reason they're champions because they leave no you know no stone unturned that they uh, take care of every last detail, and it's about those the, that two percent. And can you help them get that two percent? And they are. It doesn't matter who you are; they're willing to listen to you if you can help give them that two percent. I, I remember when uh, we brought in a, a coach just to work on Carly Lloyd's corner kicks. Just that piece alone, we brought her in for three weeks just for that little little tiny piece of her game. And that's what it's about at that level is the two percent you can help them to improve. What was it like interacting with those athletes and then bringing some of those experiences back to Happy Valley? 
um, you know, I think that obviously the program was really excited about mm-hmm. um, the the success of the national team and the fact that I had a small part of it. And um, they welcomed me back with open arms. Again, I'm very thankful for my staff who had to pick up a lot during that time. And they enabled me to be a part of that experience. But it did enrich my coaching. It did open my eyes to the international game and some of the trends and some of the, the coaches that I now consider to be friends that I can rely on and, and talk about, you know, who are uh, who are the best in these positions. Mm-hmm. Is it is it England's right back that we should be looking at for Ellie Jean right now and, and start to pull out clips that it's not just about uh, our own team, but can we can we figure out who are the best in class and then use these athletes to help ours get better? And I think that only happens through being exposed to that level. Can you enlighten fans how those opportunities come about? And, and now being at Penn State and entrenched, are there still opportunities for certain positions with the U.S. women's national team maybe for you down the road? Yeah, the, the U.S. national team program itself is, is growing in so many different ways, whether it's through technical director positions, whether it's through talent identification. There are there are loads of opportunities, and um, frankly, there are more opportunities than they have people to fill them right now because it's a very specific life that you've got to be willing to live in terms of the travel involved. And mm-hmm. um, But there are there are still plenty of opportunities to be involved in that program, and um, I think that it's it's going in a in a in a direction that we need it to go right now in terms of we have a huge country and talent identification is is the most important thing. I think Jill Ellis took on a lot of criticism during the off years because there's a lot of roster rotation and trying some different things, but look at the result. And as long as people keep that in mind of the, the end result is about success in these world events, and if you find it, then your method to get there is successful. How do you think the buzz around women's soccer in the United States right now will impact the college soccer season this year in 2019? I think that people want to support women's soccer right now. I mm-hmm. think the Penn State community, I can't tell you, you know, you can be at just the local grocery stores and people want to talk about the World Cup with me. They'll run, bump into me and see my T-shirt or know, you know, see my face. And they want to tell, how about that World Cup, coach? And I'm going, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good opportunity. Obviously, this summer with Alyssa Nair and Ali Krieger playing in the Women's World Cup and winning a gold medal, it it just adds to the legacy. What great exposure for the Penn State women's soccer program. Yeah, and these are two former student athletes that are still so tied into Penn State. You mm-hmm. know, they're they're so active on social media. They come back to campus. Uh, we were, we took the team to Chicago. Alyssa came over to our hotel. So these aren't just names or people that you see on on your TV. These are people that are part of our family. They're part mm-hmm. of our lives, and they're part of our current student athletes. When when Alyssa walked through that hotel, their eyes got big. And then after 20 minutes, they're sitting at a table with her, and they realize she's just like they are, and just a part of our family. We'll have more with Penn State women's soccer head coach. Eric Erica Dombach here in just a moment. You're listening to Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Fans, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Also, send your comments, your questions. Tell us what you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode by tweeting at GoPSUSports or at BTRIP Tweets. That's trip with two Ps at BTRIP Tweets. And again, don't forget to check out Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Brian Tripp joined by Erica Dombach, and she is in her 13th season as the head coach here in Happy Valley. I mean, let me just read this off, Erica. 12 straight NCAA tournament appearances, 10 Big Ten regular season titles, including last year, the national championship in 2015, NCAA quarterfinals four times in the last five seasons, four-time Big Ten coach of the year, national coach of the year, and the program last year won its 19th Big Ten title in 25 seasons of varsity competition. 
I mean, I see you smiling across the way, but what's it like to have the type of program that you built here in Happy Valley? Well, it's certainly surreal when you list it off in that fashion and, um, you know, you immediately go to the people that you're surrounded with. And I Mm -hmm. think that's that's two groups. One, the unbelievable staff and players that I have the great fortune of working with on a regular basis. Um, And then two, just the staff at at Rec Hall alone, right? You're talking about this list of accolades and I'm thinking, well, that's the third best resume in Rec Hall in in terms of national championships won. And, you know, when you're dealing with Kale Sanderson and Russ Rose on a regular basis. But um, but that's the beauty of working at Penn State, you've got those resources, you have those people around you, and you just work with an incredible group of people. When you first came to Penn State, how did you try to match the expectations? I mean, there's an expectation and a culture within the athletic department, not only to be successful on the field, but in the classroom, but part of that expectation is to win championships. So what was that like encountering the job for the first time and your progression here as a head coach? Yeah, the 13 years, I've grown so much as a head coach at Penn State during that time. Um, When I walked in the door, I was in awe of the success of this program, the the job that Pat Farmer and Paul Wilkins did during their time here. And they built the foundation, obviously, were winning championships when I walked in the door, had had trips to the College Cup. And and our job was to put our own spin and our own culture and put that in place in in hopes of taking that program to the next level and start to win national championships. And, um, you know, I think that we were very methodical methodical about it. The first thing I did was hire a staff that I felt like would stay with me and would help me build the culture that had similar philosophy and ideas about not only the game, but about the way to run a program and the way that um, that we could be proud of and that Penn State would be proud of um, in terms of uh, making everybody understand that, that the student athlete is the most important piece and that you can be great in the classroom and uh, and obviously be great on the field at the same time. I think to get to know coaches and understand their philosophies, it's really important to go back to their roots and kind of where they started from. You're from Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. Did you always have your dream job set as coming to Penn State and being the women's soccer coach? Uh, it would make a great story, but I can't, I can't say that that was that was how it was all how it all played out. Um, you know, my, I have a lot of Penn State connections in my family. My dad's a Penn State grad. My mom is a Penn State um, branch campus grad, and um, you know, so that was all those little subliminal messages were in our home my mm-hmm. whole life. But Penn State didn't start their program until '94, um, and I went to college in '93, and so that wasn't an option for me. So uh, during my time at William and Mary, I. Uh, you know, I, I looked at pre-med and marine biology and all these other majors, uh, but soccer was just always such a big part of me. And I think um, kind of like with any profession, there's something that grabs you, that pulls you in that direction. And typically it's a mentor or professor in my case. Mm-hmm. My college coach, John Daly, was so passionate about the family environment and the culture that he created at William & Mary. And I thought that was a huge part of our success. And I thought, this is, this is really cool that it's not just about the round ball. Um, that that's our vehicle to teach and to impact and give back to the game. And that's that was kind of how I got started. And from there, um, went to grad school at Bucknell. And again, another great mentor came across at that point and um, got offered the assistant job at Dartmouth and off I went. When you were growing up, did you come as a Penn State family to football games or ever come up to campus? Yeah, we did all the time. We did every year. And in retrospect, I wonder if all of those games were in November because that's what my impression was, was uh, kind of that, that huge cereal bowl when you got off the exit, just this mm-hmm. giant structure in front of you. And, um, you know, just the, the fans and the excitement. And, and there was such a cool feeling when we got off of 322 and we'd pull into to State College. And it was my it was my parents' place, though. You know, and it wasn't necessarily really my home, but I, I love the opportunity. I love the experience. I came up here in high school. Penn State is a great draw for Lower Moreland in my area. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think it became, it became my place because it was part of our family. So as you're going through this transition as a player and you're playing at William & Mary and now you start to have these mentors and you start to see coaching as a viable path, what was the path then that led you from a player to a coach? Was there ever a moment where you thought, okay, this is definitely what I want to do? And then how did you end up at Penn State? So when I took that Dartmouth job, um, I think as a young female head coach, there mm-hmm. are so many of us that that are torn at times between can this be a viable option for a profession and uh, if I want to have a family. And that, to be honest, that was a, a real struggle in my 20s. I was I was up in Hanover, New Hampshire, kind of removed from everything I know, mm-hmm. and, and I had a lot to figure out at that time. There were very few women in the game that – that showed that that was even possible. And that took time for me to come to terms with. In fact, I even stepped away from Dartmouth after three years of being a head coach, um, went back and got my MBA to try to take a little bit more well-rounded approach to head coaching. And after getting my MBA, really had that time to reflect and say, I can do this. I can I can run a, a program. Um, at that point, I dabbled in big-time athletics down mm-hmm. in Florida State because I had only been a, a Lehigh, Bucknell, and Dartmouth, and I wanted to look at the other side and had a great experience down to Florida State. I had another mentor in Mark Corian who won the national championship this year and, um, again, had somebody that uh, kind of showed me that you can have the best of both worlds and, and have a family life and win championships. And, um, and so I think that it, it took a lot of years to realize that you can partner those two and it can enrich your program and enrich your life and your profession. Uh, but that, that doesn't come overnight and you've got to learn that about yourself. So as you're going through this and with each mentor, you're probably taking bits and pieces from each that you want to apply. But even just in this conversation here, you can hear the words culture and family as two things that are really important for you. So when you land at Penn State, how did you develop those two things as the hallmark of your program? It was it was a process, and they had wonderful history and tradition when we walked in the door and had a ton of respect for what they had done with the program, um, but you want to make it your own. And mm-hmm. the first thing I did was hire Ann Cook. She, her values uh, are perfectly aligned with my own, um, and then soon after came Tim Wassel, and they've been with me for 13 and 10 years respectively, and that's really special to me, I, I think. Um, you know, giving them ownership over different areas of the program, giving them ownership over the success and the and the failures. I think we all, as coaches, um, we understand there are ups and downs and that the downs are going to push us and make us better. Uh, but, you know, I think the first step was getting the right people on the bus, obviously. And then from there, it probably took us, it took us till the 2014 season until um, we really started to put our pillars in place and to get a real understanding of, of who we are. I think too often somebody comes in and kind of plops that down from their previous school. For me, I wanted to learn more about Penn State. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to understand what it would take to be successful here before I started to really imprint my own, my own culture ideas. It's interesting to hear you say that, though, because I listed the accolades at the beginning, 12 straight NCAA tournament appearances. You had the Big Ten title run, 10 regular season championships in 13 years. That means you were winning and being successful even prior to you felt like you had your culture established. So coaching, I mean, the expectation is, I mean, it's a results-based business, especially at a place like Penn State or at a major college program. So you were still able to win, maybe thanks to someone like an Alyssa Nair when you make that transition to Penn State, but you're still able to win and have that success before you felt like you really had everything in place. 
true and you know and we were talented penn state mm -hmm. can attract the best talent around the around the the world and and that's again that's um pat farmer and and paul wilkins they were bringing in top talent so we were able to continue but as far as taking that next step i mm -hmm. at that point we hadn't been to a, a college cup until we weren't to a college cup till 2012 mm -hmm. and then obviously didn't get over that final hurdle until 2015 we always had enough talent to continue to compete at a national level but that final step culture to me was the piece that had to be in place to take that final step that's what stands out to me about the 2015 team the culture was right and the right combination of appreciating one another the value of the the, the all-american and raquel rodriguez and the senior that didn't play as many minutes and the value that they placed on one another stability on your staff you've mentioned with tim and ann but you also have a position just for that culture and that's what kara lowry brings to the table that's not something that every program across the country has so what makes her job unique to your program and why is she important yeah, so when Kara joined our staff, she had um, wonderful coaching experience. She had been associate head coach at Oklahoma, assistant coach at Kansas. So she has a coaching background, a mm -hmm. strong coaching background. But she also has a way about her that players are attracted to to her in terms of uh, life needs, conversations. And, and just she's one, she'll sit and she'll listen. And the way that she uh, presents herself and the way that she interacts with people is really special. So we took her skill set and we put her in the director of ops position, but we made that position so much more than director of operations and so now she's kind of the director of life skills and leadership and and how to be a great follow follower every week in the off season she does programming with our team for an hour every week and it's everything from um, how to hold a difficult conversation and body language and how to react to a tough moment and family relationships. A lot of it's about communication. And I think we're trying to hit on kind of quote kids these days mm -hmm. and, and how to, <laughs> um, you know, how to help them navigate what's coming after college. Mm -hmm. And um, we get them up in front of their peers and talk to them about getting their shoulders back and their head up and, and just life skills that we feel are obviously are so important. But too often as the head coach, it's not always front of mind, so you need somebody constantly putting it back there uh, to make sure that we hit on it every day. Because your job as a college coach isn't just to make sure that they are successful on the field and hopefully have players go and play pro and play with the U.S. women's national team, but also to make sure that they're ready for life after soccer and have those skill sets and have you're educating them as soccer players, but also as people, as colleges. It's those transition years and also making sure they get a degree. I mean, there are so many different things to balance as, as a college coach. Yeah, it's it is. Uh, it's daunting. Mm -hmm. It's daunting. It is exhilarating. It's it's different every day. The challenges that you face uh, so much of what you do as a head coach is trying to get all your tasks done so you can be ready for the challenges that you face that you don't know are coming. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly dealing with the the daily challenges that you're that you're faced with. And um, that's, again, about having a, a great staff is they can help you in all the minutiae and dealing with all the little details of running our small business and corporation and trying to be successful and win. Um, but that human side of it, that frees up time for me to get more into the human side and to really relate to our players and help them become the best version of themselves. And the way I want to kind of conclude where we're at now with you and the program is there have been some life changes here the last couple of years too. Addie and Kylie, has, has your perception as a coach changed it all now that you have a husband you have kids how have you changed and how have you balanced that in that family aspect with where you are as a coach yeah it's been massive changes in my life and um you know again kind of through my 20s and 30s I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how it was all going to work the piece that I did not account for 
was how much it was going to give to the players' lives and how much it was going to enrich their mm-hmm. experience to see their head coach um, in that environment and the love that I have for my my daughters and my husband and and how much um, you know it gives them a role model to look up for that you can you can have your profession you can work really hard and you can have that family life and it's all going to take a ton of work but it can work hand in hand and again it's about finding the right partner um, and finding that person that's going to love and support you but I do think that that's allowed me to have some some real good serious conversation with my players about priorities and and for them to be able to see a successful female who has who is achieving right now both at a very high level and for me it's um, if at any point that's not the case then I've got to take a good hard look and that's important too because I think if you look at the landscape and you talked about it when you were playing and getting into coaching there weren't a lot of female coaches who had a family and raising a family and you look at and this will kind of transition into what we're going to talk about with the women's national team as role models and, and women can be great athletes but they can be a lot of things as well how important do you take that that model that role model or someone that that is in that position how important is that to you to to show that someone can do that in your in your position I think the importance of that has grown for me over mm-hmm. the years. I think, uh, you know, in in my 30s, I'm not sure I even fully appreciated that. But in looking back to my 20s, I recognized that I was searching for that, that mm-hmm. I, I just wanted a couple people to look at and go, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. And that didn't exist. It didn't exist in women's soccer. And now you're starting to see it. And again, it is different for men and women from that standpoint. Is is It's very hard for a, a young female coach to look to a – a male coach and say, well, he's doing it. I can do it. It, it. Obviously, there are differences, and it's it's important that now we have successful females in the game that are that are players. And again, I think some players relate to to male coaches better. Others, and it's self selecting, right? You're mm-hmm. gonna you better want to pay for a female head coach if you come to Penn State. But um, I think that we can we can give players everything that that they need. Were there times where you doubted that was possible? Younger, when I was younger. I think once I've gotten into it and mm-hmm. I've realized that it is, it enriches everybody's life, mm-hmm. that it's not just about I've got to keep these two in a silo and keep this here and keep that there, but to see our players interact with my family, to see our players, just the joy that comes across our players' faces when Addie and Kylie are come around. And, and, and you need that because our environment is so serious. Our environment is so competitive. And it, at times you're kind of trying to fabricate a, a laugh here and some jokes here and then you got kids and these kids bring a joy that you can't bring by a water balloon fight or something to break up the tension but as the season and the grind goes on you need those moments and Addie and Kylie have provided those over the last few years what are some of those other moments besides water balloon fights what do you do with your team to, okay. to keep them engaged <laughs> um it, it it runs a gamut. There's uh, I've got some creative coaches on my on my staff. So our volunteer Haley is setting up a oh, I don't know. There's cake wars that are about to go on and different competitions. And I think our strength coach Rianne Davis does an unbelievable job even in the warm ups of trying to to find those little competitive goofy moments. Whether mm-hmm. it's um, obviously it's all disguised in fitness, but it is a, a game of tic tac toe with a penny that you're sprinting down, and you've got to figure out. And you know, and these players are missing the real obvious because they're trying to get their fitness in. And you know, just just if you can add just a little bit each day, because our team is so focused and they are just so worked up and and want to be successful, that sometimes you just have to create those moments for them. Ten Big Ten regular season titles, and not all of them are the same. I think that's what makes a run like this unique because when you look at a team that's been dominant and we've seen it at Penn State with women's volleyball or wrestling 
it's easy to just say, well, they're the class of the sport. But you have natural turnover in college athletics, and sometimes you're going to have teams that come back that could start to get complacent. So how do you keep it going year after year? What's important for your program to keep things fresh? Well, first off is consistency of our staff, and we've been able to achieve that through uh, Ann, Tim, and Kara. Um, obviously, it's talent acquisition and um, Tim Wassell and our recruiting coordinator and the work that he does, and he's a tireless recruiting coordinator and so continues to bring in top talent from around around the, the world. And, um, and then finally, it is that culture piece, and mm -hmm. that culture piece is our X factor, and that's where Carol Lowry comes in. And, um, you know, and, and I sit down and I talk with these families and look at them face-to-face -face and tell them what we're about and have these players understand this is what you're walking into, that we don't sacrifice any other – we don't sacrifice any of our culture to, to have the success. And we use phrases like um, humble and hungry, you mm -hmm. know, and we, we do – spend a lot of time reminding them that this, the success didn't just come. We had our first team meeting this morning, and um, I pulled out some excerpts from an incredible video that was done by our video crew and Kyle Rinaldi from our 25th anniversary because we just celebrated this, this – season and we had people former players that spoke about championships that they had won how it had come down to the last second or it's in overtime or we had to score our pk in order to win it or this other big 10 team had to win in order for us to win a championship and every uh, every one of those 10 has its own story and none of those stories involved us running away with the big 10 you know in, in early in the season so it has been a grind to the end of the season the conference has gotten better and better i love that about i, I want that grind i want that challenge and I'm, I'm really proud of what the Big Ten has done as of late and the growth that we've seen um, but it's important for me to help the young players understand that it's not just a rite of passage when you come into this program but mm -hmm. it's actually getting harder and harder with each passing year as that bullseye gets bigger. Were there any of the 10 that you thought weren't going to happen? <laughs> I mean I can count on more than one hand that, <laughs> that I wasn't sure. Um, starting with this past season, there was a mm -hmm. point at which we were seventh, um, kind of midway through the Big Ten season. We were in seventh place, and we were in jeopardy of not even making the Big Ten tournament or not making the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they needed a wake-up call, and, and they got it. And credit to, to Emily Ogle and Maddie Nolf, and they just took the team over and kind of went all in and uh, reinvested themselves. But that's been what it's take, it, it takes. Um, there's obviously so much leadership involved, and especially the way we run the program is once we get into October, we do want to start to turn it over to our leaders. It's very coach-run earlier on, and as the season goes on, uh, philosophically, we want these older players, these more experienced players, to start to have a bigger voice. We want the, them to lead their peers and to hold their peers accountable, and they can't do that if they're not given the opportunity to do so. As a coaching staff, do you go into a season, for instance, in 2015, did you go into the year thinking, all right, this is the year we're going to break through, we're going to win the national championship, or one of the College Cup seasons? Did you think this is the year we definitely have the talent to go to the College Cup, or does that kind of develop as, as a year goes on? Absolutely develops as the year goes on. Talent, mm -hmm. uh, talent is, is not the formula you know we've got to have enough talent and there's years there's there's plenty of years that we've gone in to, and said we have enough talent but culture's everything culture is the x factor that and i know i've said that word so many times but the longer i'm in this game the, the longer i've been at penn state the more i realize that we have to get that piece right so what do you look for with each team to know that the culture's there or what how can you measure that throughout the course of a season couple of the the indicators for us is the team has to be the star you know the, put your egos check your egos at the door and put that all aside and the team is the star of our team um, again through Kara's work have we developed our leaders well enough in their first three years that by their final season they can start to take over the program and instill 
the beliefs and philosophy of our staff into those younger players because it's going to be way more powerful from them. And if you don't have that, how do you deal with it? You know, how do you kind of do it by committee? So those are two big indicators. And then um, their willingness to uphold the standard. And you can see that in everything that they do. First off, have they come in fit? Did they do the work in the, in the summer? Because ultimately, if they didn't, then everything are just words. You know, if, if you don't do it when we're not watching and if you don't put in the foundation when you're not around the team and you know how important it is, then there's only so much you can make up at this point. So when did you know in 2015 that, all right, you've got a shot at doing this thing? Um, probably the first time that the staff looked at each other was when we went out to Stanford and beat them 2-0. And mm -hmm. that was uh, unheard of. We broke a, a long streak for them, and, and we, uh, we played really well. And, and that just showed us that we can play with anybody anywhere. And that became a theme for that season is uh, under any conditions with any ref that there are no excuses. We're not going to make any. Nobody's going to make them for us. And that became kind of a mantra for that team um, born out of that trip out to Palo Alto. And you obviously have coached in a lot of big events, but you're in a nil-nil game late in that national championship, then Rocky finally scores. What were the emotions like during that game, and what was that moment like for the program, a program that's been wildly successful to finally break through and win a national championship? That that game, that um, that Duke game, is an entire chapter of a book in and of itself, as you can imagine. Yeah. The ebbs and flows of that game, two, two top teams, um, very similar style of soccer. I think what we a tribute to kind of that second half performance is playing in the Big Ten. Um, college soccer is kind of played in, in two ways. There's the tactical game, but then there's the physical game. Mm -hmm. And the Big Ten goes so far to prepare us for the physical game. And so that's where we felt we were able to dominate in that second half is where the tactics, both team, it was like chess pieces. We were moving chess pieces. But the what the Big Ten had provided us in terms of just that physical battle and that mental challenge, um, I thought is where we kind of stepped up our level in that second half and started to dominate. So that obviously has to be among your favorite memories at Penn State. What other moments, games, anything stick out on or off the field? Um, uh, <laughs> there was uh, there was a moment when we went down 3-0 um, in PKs in uh, the, the Sweet 16 against Michigan. Um, and uh, we had to we had to make the next our basically our goalkeeper Aaron McNulty made three three saves mm -hmm. and we had to to kind of it was all the odds were against us and so it's just little moments like that and it's also kind of during the national championship celebration as we stood around the circle and we had our moments and we exchanged some comments again to see those players that hadn't contributed as many minutes but to see their pride and to see their buy-in and to feel them embracing that trophy knowing that they were just as much a part of it that was probably the pinnacle moment of my career here of going that's that's what we're trying to create is if you feel that way and you know that your impact on your team has been so significant then we're teaching the lessons they're learning the lessons we're trying to teach did you feel like you belonged in your hallway then at Rec Hall? I did. I did. For that year, I felt <laughs> like I could walk. Now, those guys, I mean, those are, they're great mentors and, uh, and they're great resources for us. But it is, it is daunting and overwhelming to be in that hall sometimes. Well, I find that unique about Penn State. Anytime you talk to any of the coaches, there, there's an open door policy here where you can go and pick, whether it's James Franklin, Pat Chambers, all the way over if you want to go across there, or you can just walk right down the hall to, to Kale or Russ. Like there is a sense of community here on campus. Yeah, and that's real. 
and that is that is real that's not just words that is uh, we feel a connection. I think Sandy Barber and her staff has done a wonderful job of creating an environment where the coaches interact and, uh, whether it's through a head coaches retreat or your daily interactions, I do feel like I've got a group of peers that are, uh, the best in the business and, uh, that, that can be a great resource for us. Does that put pressure on you too, knowing that, okay, right down the hallway, Russ Rose, Kale Sanderson, they're winning national championships. Is there, is there a pressure that you sense within that community because everyone is so successful? I don't know if pressure so much as um, camaraderie and just support. I mm-hmm. think more than anything, I feel support supported by those people and and know that uh, we're in it together. And you know, if 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 we have a big game, if we have a big win, that I'm going to hear from Russ Rose. I know that I'll get that text message and it'll be sarcastic and it'll be funny and I'll put a smile on my face. But it's coming because he pays attention. Do you think you'll get an ice cream flavor, maybe, like him Gosh, one day? It, I mean, a lot of us have goals, and then some are achievable and some aren't. And I don't know, 40 years was a long time for Russ Rose. You have a family. Is this something where you could see yourself coaching? I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, how long have Char, Moret, Russ, could you imagine coaching as long as they have it at the college level? Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, these are legends that you're talking yeah. about, and I think that – um, I don't go there. I don't go there in mm-hmm. my own mind uh, because it is such a year by year thing right now. But I'm having the time of my life. I've never enjoyed coaching more than I do right now. Um, I've never been more proud of a program and what we've grown and um, the relationships that we fostered with our players and, and our university. And uh, we're, we're very proud to be a shining example of what Penn State Athletics is all about and um, and su- be supported in a way to continue. Mac Herman winners, national championship, Big Ten championships, a lot of success in 13 years at Penn State. And Erica, hopefully this isn't the last time we talk this year. Maybe after a, a national championship at the end of the year, we can we can chat again. I, I, I will be around and uh, would love the opportunity to chat again. Erica, really appreciate the time. Great. You Thank made you, a great first guest. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Erica Dombach, women's soccer coach at Penn State, our first ever guest here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics fans. If you like what you heard here today, hit the subscribe button. We'll have other guests coming up here over the next couple of weeks. Also, you can send your comments, questions, tell us what you'd like to hear. Tweet at GoPSU Sports or at BTRIP Tweets. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next time here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.